Hello and welcome to the Can't Blue Podcast Monday show slash post-match reaction for the Fulham home game yesterday. Obviously, we couldn't cover the game yesterday because I was unavailable for various reasons. Um, so we're going to talk about Fulham in more detail this afternoon and also answer some of your audience questions as ever. Uh, some good ones to get through, plenty of football-related ones. Not any nonsense ones this one this week, John. You'll be pleased to know we're strictly focusing on football. <laughs> Before we get into all that, how are you, mate? You okay? Yeah, I'm doing well, thanks, Dan. International break, which is a bit sad times, really. You want, uh, you want Villa to keep playing and keep winning, but um, yeah, and for our work. For our, yeah, for our work as well, it gets a bit difficult, I suppose. But also, it's a nice uh, break to kind of reset and, um, you know, take stock. I know Ian Imery's taken a couple of days off. I don't really believe him, to be honest. I feel like no, he just means he's not going to go to Baltimore. He'll just be working in his office at home or something. But yeah, I'm doing well, thanks. You okay? I'm okay-ish. I've had a, a nightmare <laughs> morning, as you well know. Um, I don't know how much I want to go into this on the podcast, but... Basically, we had a mouse in the house this morning, and this is not a nursery rhyme. Last night, I slept terribly, and so did my partner. And we came downstairs this morning, and she said, I've just seen a mouse. And I'm thinking, you've not slept very well. It's probably just a shadow or whatever. And then 10 minutes later, I could see it there on the floor. And I was like, okay, we've got a problem here. Like, it, we know there's physical evidence. Like, the mouse is here now. This isn't just droppings and it's disappeared again. Like, it's literally there. I hate stuff like this. I hate insects, like catching spiders and stuff. So I'm useless with anything like that. She goes off yeah. to work. I take the my little one to nursery, sit on the sofa, smatch of the day two. Let's catch up on the highlights, see what the, what the analysts were saying about Villa. And literally, I turned to my left to see something out of the corner of my eye. And there was a mouse sat on the cushion next to me. <laughs> and I myself jumped up out of the stairs, uh, up towards the stairs, phoned my dad and said, can you please come and help me? That was like half eight this morning. We were recording this at half 11. Since then, pretty much, I've been stood in the living room like trying to keep eyes on it so we don't lose it. We've eventually managed to get it out of the house, freed it into the garden, hoping that it doesn't ever come back. I've now had to like disinfect everything, all the kids' stuff. Yeah. I have to wash everything. So I've not really done any work is the pos- is the one positive, but I'm not in the right frame of mind to be talking about Villa. But that's what we're here to do. We're here to talk about a 13th Premier League win at home, uh, which is uh, an unbelievable statistic for Villa. We can obviously break the record uh, with a 14th win against Manchester City in our next home game after Tottenham, which is away after the international break. So a very exciting time coming up for Villa with some big tests coming up as well which is uh, something that in years gone by we'd have looked at going oh Spurs away City at home Arsenal at home oh, a couple of points maybe now you're like oh we'll beat Spurs we can maybe beat Man City they can, they can be got out Chelsea could get at them so maybe we can uh, it's very exciting isn't it John so um, yeah we're going to talk about Fulham but the overall picture at the moment with Villa is just that very like routine and comfortable like we go to Villa Park we win we come on the podcast and we talk about the win like that's like our formula at work for the last six or seven months. Yeah, I was listening to a fan on, I think it was BBC WM, and they were saying basically what you've just said there, about how Villa are making it kind of routine now. And I haven't really kind of taken that in up until uh, I heard that, because it's true. You could you are going to these games now and thinking, well, Villa should win this. I remember um, saying to a few people before the game, you know, it should be a, a tight match. You don't expect Villa to kind of go 3-0 up or anything like that. But then at the same time, you are thinking in the back of your head, well, it's it's a possibility though. <laughs> Villa are capable of doing that to um, a lot of teams, especially a team like Fulham, you know, with due respect. And that's what they did. They went 3-0 up and I think they probably, you know, took the foot off the gas in the second half, to be quite honest with you. I think a lot of players probably had their mind on, had their mind on the break. They probably thought, well, let's just get the first half done with, pretty much win the game, get, um, get the second goal, which is what they went for. And... Um, their focus was elsewhere, I think, which is fine. You know, they've had a very busy yeah. first three months of the season, and this is now the last break until it ramps up again. 
um, with the festive fixtures, the end of the European group stage. Um, you know, it, it, I think it'd be nice when we can get. I know I'm looking a bit further and further in advance, but maybe after Christmas again, it'll be nice to kind of take stock of where we are there. This is—I still feel like we're at the point of—it's um, very stuttery. You know, you have a load of games, then it stops, and another load of games, and it stops again. It's all kind of broken up a bit, not like the World Cup last year, um, which was 12 months ago now, which is crazier mm-hmm. than a way that time yeah. has gone. But yeah, Villa are obviously in a really good place, and yeah, really excited for the games that are going to come up after the break. It's—I um, liked how Emery said after the game. I don't know if people have seen the quotes that were on. Um, Birmingham Live last night but how he said that um, he's going to approach that Tottenham game with full energy and he wants the players to kind of be fully invested into that so he's going to give some players like days off and whatnot I know some are going to be going away um, including Esri Konsa which is a a big um, big plus for him completely overdue but (laughs) still it happened for him finally but yeah approaching those games with full energy is what he said and that's something that um, is really exciting imagine Emery going you know working for like i don't know 10 days on one game or something you know we're gonna win of course we are <laughs> <laughs> not bad is it for aston villa to sit top of the um goal scoring charts with 29 this season for boring pragmatic unai emery is it yeah well unfortunately dan man you know <laughs> top oh but... are they oh, yeah i've seen a tweet that was from last night of an arm my crap algorithm that i thought was fresh <laughs> after man city one that was obviously before they kicked off so the it counts, you know. I mean, Emery said it um, in his post match as well. He, I think he wanted to get that out kind of at the start of his press conference before Man City scored two goals early on <laughs> or um, against Chelsea. But uh, no, was it 29 goals, I think, that we've scored in 12 games? Yeah. yeah, to be to be that team, the team that scores all those goals is remarkable. What I would say is that we're not keeping clean sheets, though. I put up mm. a piece about John McGinn. He said that Emery was basically screaming at the players, saying that we need to keep a clean sheet, keep a clean sheet, and keep a clean sheet like three times over because it's something that Villa, you know, that was the kind of their foundation last season. It was not conceding and then getting a goal or two. Yeah. Whereas this season it's kind of flipped, which is more entertaining and I'd I'd prefer it that way. Don't get me wrong, scoring three or more goals in six of our um in all in each of our six opening Premier League games at home. That's something that only Man City have done in Premier League history. So Villa become the second team to do that, which is remarkable to be fair. Um mm. but yeah, two clean sheets in 17 league games now, which is, you know, <laughs> I don't want to paint like a negative picture, but that is quite poor. But it doesn't matter ultimately if Villa are scoring lots of goals and the way that they're set up, they are going to concede chances, but then they're also going to make a lot as well because of the high line and how we're going to win the ball back in their half, etc. So yeah, it's not something to like worry about, but I do think it's definitely something that Emery wants to keep a lid on because it's it's not getting out of hand by any stretch, but it's, you know. It's obviously clearly something that we can work on and a lot of goals that we are conceding are avoidable. So again, it's not something that we're going to be you know, particularly worried about. Um, we're not being outplayed at all in any game. Rory says, the main reason for our inability to keep a clean sheet, for me, it's just individual lapses in focus. Some are unlucky, others know more than we deserve for switching off. Which I agree with, like, Villa are going to concede yeah. goals, aren't they? Like, it's going to happen from time to, from time, to time that Villa will concede. Um, but to have Martinez in goal, who is like lives for clean sheets and will lose sleep if he doesn't get it, will have records yeah. that we've heard from Neil Cutler to keep a certain amount per season. For him to have, what is it this season? Two or three? He's not going to be happy with that. But overall, Villa are much better this year than they were last year. So from the team perspective, we're better than we were. So it doesn't really matter. But I suppose the... You know, the, the statisticians out there and the underlying numbers will tell you that if there are conceding goals and winning, at some point there will be games where we don't score goals and still concede, like Nottingham Forest last week, and lose games that we shouldn't. Um, so I understand the desire to keep clean sheets because it gives you a, a solid foundation. But whilst we're sitting in fifth place pretty comfortably, 
it'd be difficult for me to say that I'm worried about it because at the moment we're doing okay. We're doing more <laughs> Maybe, okay. Yeah, I think the point about concentration is probably the main one. That's what Taylorman said as well after the game. He said that um, that the high line is working really well, which is true. Uh, but sometimes we can switch off and concentration. You, when you're playing that high line, you know concentration is the main thing, pretty much, because you've got to you got to think about a lot of things. You've got to think about keeping your line, uh, doing it at the right time, players running off the ball. Like that's where Fulham's goal came from. Uh, obviously, a ball over the top of the bit, the offside trap, and just passed it across the box, and it's a goal. So. Yeah, I think concentration is probably the biggest thing. And Villa have changed their structure quite dramatically from last season. So it is a mm. big change. Thankfully, it's working, though. I mean, if we weren't scoring goals or if it wasn't, you know, if we were conceding two or three goals a game, then it would be something that uh, Emery would simply have to change and would be in a um, in a bit of trouble because then you're changing your system halfway through the season. Well, not halfway, yeah. but during the season. And then you're making, you're making problems. So, um, yeah, I'm not uh you know worried about it at all really uh, as i say we're scoring goals of winning matches that's the that's the aim of the game and emery will be frustrated because he likes uh controlling matches and if you are going to concede pretty much a goal every game it means that you're gonna have to score uh, at least a couple obviously so um yeah it's something that they're going to be working on but ultimately very winning games and as i say that's the that's the aim aim of the game Let's go back to Fulham then before we answer some more questions. Um, we obviously do the unsung man of the match on the podcast now where we talk about somebody that's gone under the radar a little bit. We will talk about the man of the match as well in a second, who I believe, in my opinion at least, there's an obvious candidate for that. So first of all, share with me your unsung man of the match from, from yesterday's game, please. Probably go with um, Telemans, I think. Mm. I, I don't yeah. know if that's particularly unsung because I think a lot of people thought that he played well, but just mm. the general point that he's improved a lot I think I asked Emery after the game about his progression and he said that if you look at you know how we played against Newcastle because he played on that same left kind of left hand side that left pocket um when he came on against Newcastle in the second half if he said you know you compare that performance to now it's Mm. you know a clear progression um but he also said that it's up to his teammates as well to help embed into the structure and there's a lot of different factors and he also mentioned which he hasn't sort of done before he hasn't really lifted the lid on Emery's kind of oh, sorry Tielemans' uh, adaptation but he said that of course it, it has been difficult for him but then also at the same time he never sort of doubted that he would you know manage it because he's a quality player and he has experiences as well so I thought that was all really good you know really good comments from Emery again they're on the website if you want to have a look I think he played well I think probably by the 60th 70 minute he probably gassed out a little bit but that's because he, this is his first league start and mm-hmm. it's a well and good start in you know Europa Conference League games which is still very competitive but the Premier League as we know is a different different level um, of intensity so yeah, I thought he played very well, Tielemans, and I'm really happy that he's playing much more like himself. I still think he's got a you know a long way to go still to really claim that starting eleven spot, especially when someone like uh, Jacob Ramsey's coming back. But um, yeah, really nice to see him contribute. And you know, as he yesterday, ultimately, it was him that broke the deadlock, I suppose. It was his cross, yeah. wasn't it, that Robinson yeah. turned into his own net. Yeah, great movement for him down that left-hand side and a, and a good delivery as well. Stu says that Tielemans was at another level and, and I agree with that. That was his best game for us. And we don't uh, share, I don't share the questions with you before the game, but so far you've answered two before I even asked them. Henry says, is Tielemans now a starter after yesterday's game? 
I think it's very nice to have those options. Tailwind is obviously a very different player to Bailey, very different player to Zaniolo, as is Zaniolo to Bailey. They're all different mm. players, as is Ramsey as well, if you want to throw that in. So I honestly just think it's options to win games. So you could probably select seven, maybe eight, nine starters in that Villa team that aren't going to come out of the squad, uh, out of the 11, sorry. But that other kind of spare place, as such, is a Bailey, Zaniolo, Tielemans, um at the moment but i would say as soon as jacob ramsey starts firing and is and is fit again you can't take him out of the team so you've almost got 11 players on the pitch that are set you know with moreno and ramsey i think even though luca dean's done very well but then in european games when villa play uh tuesday sunday in premier league as well like we will do over the festive period and stuff telemans will come in for a game and uh, jacob ramsey yeah. will come off the bench and make an impact so you know, we need a squad and i think every fan of a traditional top six team will tell you that, that that that's what you need there's an 11 but then there's also players you can bring in and out to make a difference in games and that's what we have in telemans so yeah we're definitely building a squad i was probably going to pick telemans my unsung man of the match as well though like you said he played very well so probably not unsung necessarily so i'm going to go with matty cash as mine just for not just for this but that slide tackle that was kind of in the build up to McGinn's goal was unbelievable whether um, Fulham would have gone through and scored is obviously you know, the the length of the pitch to run out and Martinez in goal so it's by no means a gimme um, but that tackle was was unbelievable and he's, I feel like he's improved generally over the course of the last year anyway but yeah I rated him yesterday and, and David agrees with that on Twitter he says can you talk about Matt Cash he was man of the match for me yesterday he's improved immensely under Emery as I've just said uh, always looking for the ball his defence has got much better as has his delivery into the box and uh, Russell Lee says hi Dan long time listener first time messenger thank you for your message uh, Matty Cash was my unsung hero from yesterday's game his tackle in the first half to start off McGinn's goal was outstanding he also asked a question about whether we can uh, improve in January but we'll save that till afterwards <laughs> talking about Matty Cash a little bit uh, deservedly getting these plaudits I feel yeah for sure I, I think he's one of the um, one of the players who has taken uh, the most improvement I think over the last six months I'd say uh, I was the first day last season or the season before I can't remember when his final product has to improve don't get me wrong I'm sure he was aware of that so um, yeah I think he's doing that this season as the comment said then and defensively yeah I still think there's moments where he's maybe a bit rash but you don't almost don't want to take that out of his game in a weird mm. way because mm. he needs to be full throttle and that's why mm. I think it's good that we're giving him almost a license just to maraud down that right side as much as he liked to because he that's his best attribute it's his energy and his tenacity his intensity that that's what he is he isn't the most polished footballer in the Villa squad but he doesn't need to be I think he's been excellent this season and certainly a player who's come on leaps and bounds again under Emery he was already a good player but it's nice to know that we've got a right back there who can continue improve continue to improve still in my opinion he's still young you know for, for what he is as a Premier League footballer he's only played a few seasons in the division as well so mm-hmm. um, I, I feel like he's definitely stepping up and um, yeah he plays a key role in the team as, as does every player it's a structure that involves everyone and Cash has certainly got a uh, you know, a big part to play in the squad offensively and defensively as well. Yeah, he obviously scored a couple of goals this season, but that tackle will be like a goal for a defender, won't it, to, to get back in that manner. And yeah, we don't, the goal doesn't come directly off that way. There's another passage to play off the back of it, yeah. but that tackle doesn't happen in the first place. McGinn doesn't, you know, the butterfly effect, McGinn doesn't score, does he, in, in a roundabout way. I mentioned earlier that there was a, a standout man of the match for me that I don't think there's many arguments for. Should we reveal the name on three to see if we are, I am right and we pick the same player? Sure. Three, yeah. two, one, John McGinn. John McGinn. <laughs> okay, good. I'm pleased that we agree on something at least. There's a few comments <laughs> about him, so we'll get to those before we speak about him. 
Sam says, he doesn't get the plaudits, but he's consistent every week. Should McGinn be in the same conversation as the best midfielders in the league? Also, when do we build him a statue? And Ricardo says, is John McGinn the most enjoyable player to watch when he's in full flow? Remarkable player and someone who is so infectious as well off the pitch. We had about uh, 10 minutes with him. It wasn't particularly long, but uh, 10 minutes with him before the AZ game. He was the player who came out to the media for the... Um, for the European match and he was just brilliant everything he says is you know he, he's, he's a leader but he's also um, I mean we know he's very funny as well but yeah he, he's just someone who you can warm to Emery says that after the game as well um, whenever he's asked about him I always notice he kind of cracks a bit of a smile I think just because like us he loves him as well and he was brilliant against Fulham. He controlled the match. Uh, he yeah. completely bullied Charles Polina, who, uh, by the way, I think is a tremendous footballer. And obviously, Bayern Munich wanted to sign him, but he gave him nothing. McGinn, I think. How was he not Polina... until he did get booked? He should have been booked twice in the first half. The amount made... of times he was signing. Yeah, I think he made five fouls in total, which I, I thought was um, too few. I thought he made did more but that's what he was kind of resorted to when McGinn was just he kept rolling him and um, I noticed McGinn there was a few times where you know yes it was a foul but McGinn never usually asks for yellow cards and you know would shout at refs and stuff like that but I think he knew because he was playing against Pelinha as soon as he gets on a yellow card his influence in the game is done then he can't make those tackles anymore and I think he misses the next match for Fulham but that was there um, you, you know that was the key battle in the match I thought if Pelinha won that then Villa's drive their um, you know their intensity in the middle of the pitch was uh, lost I think without McGinn which is the case in every game pretty much because he is that driving force that Villa kind of rely on and so often he gives that fantastic performance kind of a captain's performance I suppose you'd say but yeah just on McGinn he's I don't want to say legend because he hasn't won a trophy or anything but you feel if he wins the conference league um, something like that just to give him a trophy I regard him in those ways because he's just mm, he's everything he's he was here at the start of uh, V Sports's or NSWE when they took over the club. He was, I believe, the first signing. He's lived the whole five years since then, or five years and a bit more now. So he's gone through everything. He understands Aston Villa. He knows what it takes, um, and everything about him as a person, as well as you know, you'd love to spend even ten minutes in the bar with John McGinn, wouldn't you? Because he's, he's just class uh, on and off the pitch. He's brilliant. He's a brilliant ambassador as well as a captain. So yeah, we all love him. And still, only twenty nine. Like for some reason, because you say he's been here five years, you think, well, he must be into his thirties by now. Like if he keeps after him, like looks after himself well and plays till he's 34, 35, I'm not saying he'll be starting every week at that age, but there's no reason to suggest he couldn't have a 10-year career at Villa and be a, a bona fide legend then because you would expect Villa to have won something during that time. There's a random off-topic point, and we'll continue about McGinn in a second, just because you mentioned about like the Palinia thing of him not getting booked and McGinn kind of rolling him so often. Yeah. And this is a thought that I've only just thought of, so forgive me that it's maybe not as polished as it needs to be for a podcast. Do you feel like Villa are one of the most well-disciplined clubs as a whole? And I say this off the back of a couple of reasons. One is that we've had a couple of players. I know they're on. we've got a handful of players on four yellow cards. I don't mean <laughs> yeah. discipline that they never get booked. Right, but they've been on that tightrope of a suspension for a few weeks now and played difficult games and they could have been booked for the Luton game, couldn't they? And then miss West Ham and whatever else. They could have been booked yeah. yesterday and miss Spurs, which would have, would have been huge. So they've done very well to uh, get in yellow, four yellow cards so early is frustrating, but they've done well to manage it to not get the fifth for Spurs or Man City or whatever. So there's that. And also there was a Fulham coach yesterday that was booked and then Marco Silva's in the fourth official's ear all game and all these kind of things. You don't often see that from Emery and his coaching staff. You don't see yellow cards to 
Pascal yeah. Isteri jumping up and having a go at the fourth official. So like, just a random point, like a, a Villa like a nice club that we don't do those kind of <laughs> moany press conferences and blaming VAR and all that kind of stuff. I think that comes from Emery, if I'm honest. That's I mean, like, like classic that, kind of operation. Sets that tone of yeah. um, there are very, very rarely will he speak to the fourth official only when it's. Um, I mean, you know, you're always going to have a moan every now and again, but there's no, he, do you know, what I mean, he lets it go after the full time whistle. As soon as he goes to the, the, the press conference, sorry, there's never, you know, he could have said something about the AZ um, goal, which VAR didn't uh, rule correctly, or they said they didn't rule correctly. He could have had a moan then, but he just said, no, we'll respect the decision and try and work out why that is or whatever it may be. So, the, I, I, yeah. and I tend to, I don't want to say how anything like in Emery, but I have that sort of emotion as well of, well, like after a game, it is what it is. You know, you have 90 minutes to win a match. Some things can go for you. Some things go against you. But ultimately, you're going to win the game if you can control it and play to your best ability. That That's mm, kind of the end yeah. of. And I think that's how Emery takes it. He he doesn't kind of give in to those, you know, excuses, that excuse mentality. It's, you know, Villa turn up and they play to their best ability. They will beat most teams apart from maybe a couple. Um and that's what it is. So yeah, I feel like it's that sort of um, that sort of thing. In terms of Kamara and Dean and Douglas Lewis, who've been on four yellows for a while, they must have been told by Emery, you know, do everything in your power not to get those yellow cards because I think it is quite something to rack them up that quickly and then have I don't know what is it, like five, turn it off, yeah. yeah, it's you know exactly that. Literally turn it off like a tap. It's um, I'm not sure how they do that, but um, and without still play well, like, and Villa have still won games during that time. Exactly. It's not like we've been restricted by Douglas. Douglas Luiz is only playing a five out of ten because he's wary of getting a fifth yellow. He's still playing very well. Exactly. So there was a few times in the game yesterday when Luis would kind of like put his foot in and kind of wrap his leg around the player, and I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> but um, but he wins the ball. So yeah, fair play. It's um, I think that's something that we should probably applaud that they're not you know, yes, we're on a tightrope, but it's not affecting the performance. So, yeah, that's mm. good. The only thing I would say is that they are probably going to miss a game. Yeah, I think it's 19 games, I think, is it? Yeah. Some of that. So, what, what we got? Seven. City, Arsenal, even Bournemouth away will be tough. Um, Tottenham away. Those are the next four league games and you'd have thought maybe one of them misses them. I don't know. You just hope that Louise, so. and, Louise and Kamara, if they both miss one game, then that would be a big problem because then At what the same are you doing time. Tielemans and Dundonka maybe would be the solution. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, that's not great, is it? If, you, if they both get booked against Man City or whatever and you can't exactly. play either of them at home against Arsenal, you could do like Luca Dean getting booked against Spurs and Moreno plays against Bournemouth or something like that. You could yeah. get away with that quite comfortably. Just on McGinn, I thought he was unplayable yesterday. Probably one of his best games for us as an overall. Obviously, he doesn't yeah. get the assist, does he, for the third goal, but he's instrumental in that, that counter-attack. Obviously, he turns and takes the ball, um, does that little like spin, or whatever it is of like just yeah. turning the play and a little reverse ball to Bailey and we'll talk about Bailey afterwards in more detail but Bailey's run for that goal is what makes the goal if he's like greedy thinking that McGinn is going to be the person who makes the assist and I've got to be in the box he runs into the same space as Ollie Watkins who's already floating around that, that position anyway the fact that he like comes around the outside on the left hand side he then knows oh, I'm going to be the provider in this situation I'm going to make give McGinn an option on the left and put mm-hmm. a great ball in for, for Watkins as well so Bailey absolutely instrumental in that third goal obviously McGinn as an overall throughout that game I thought he was brilliant and, and absolutely had Fulham's card and just an all round great guy as you mentioned pulls out his celebration what did he call it the McGriddy like, that's a, that's yeah, a yeah. thing isn't it but to score a goal <laughs> and technically not get the assist but to be involved in it in that manner just absolutely run the show exactly I, I think you're right Then it probably is one of his best games in a Villa shirt 
to be fair, I genuinely think that because he was such yeah. a difficult battle against Palinion, he made it look easy. <laughs> and Probably yeah, the way that he the way that he takes his goal and for the th- third goal as well, yeah, he has the peace of mind to like back off to Bailey. As soon as Bailey gives Migan the ball, you'd have thought he'd kind of run through and then maybe shoot or something. I think that's what he was almost lining up to do. But no, had the peace of mind and the composure to do his little spin and play a you know perfectly weighted pass. So mm. yeah, tremendous performance. We'll get this question out of the way on Watkins. It's a bit tongue in cheek, I feel anyway, from Calvin Harris, not the DJ. I don't expect. He says, <laughs> "Where does that miss sitter by Watkins rate in the Premier League miss sitters list?" Uh, I know he scored, but that was a bad one, wasn't it, that header? And he will feel it. He was hard in his face, wasn't he, with his shirt. He knew that was a bad one. Yeah, it, it happens, doesn't it? I think if he's scoring in the game, we can't criticise him too heavily. But um, not his finest moment. <laughs> no, but took his goal well. And again, he's involved. We, we I mean, Everyone yeah. knows, if they listen to the podcast regularly, what we think of Ollie Watkins. But his, his involvement in the build-up play, even in chances that we create that don't need the goals, is, is why he's in the team. And yeah, takes his goal well. Um, and the sooner we forget about that sitter, we've won the game. It doesn't, yeah. doesn't really matter, does it? No. Okay, let's move on. Let's focus on Bailey. And there's a couple of questions or comments. One from Nigel who said, uh, can you speak about Bailey's great run of form? He's got the second highest goal contributions for the team. Uh, and a second from Hidden Villain who says, he's came in for a lot of criticism pretty much since he's come to the club, but it's only fair that we now recognise the contribution Leon Bailey is making to this team. He is so important and gives us that different dynamic at the moment. His end product is, has massively improved. I, I fully agree with that. I've all my hands up and say I've more than criticised Leon Bailey at, at times throughout his Villa career and thought he might, he might not cut it. But this season in particular has been his best season for Villa so far. He's managed to stay pretty much injury-free, nothing too serious at least. Uh, he's been getting games memory and when he doesn't and he comes off the bench, he tends to come on and either set up a goal or score one, it feels like. He's been vastly improved. I remember when he wasn't having a good time of it in his first season at Villa and he mentioned how we need confidence in his own body. There was a lot of niggly injuries as well that he had at the mm-hmm. time. And I think that with experience of playing in the Premier League and the intensity as well and having a manager that does believe in him and he can see exactly what he needs to do on the pitch rather than him being used, uh, you know, as a right winger points and then in the structure that he was in, there wasn't, you know, a, a particular, you know, route for him to progress as a player, I don't think, when Gerard was the manager. And I just feel like under Emery, he's taken his game to a new level because Emery's given him all all the instructions, all the tools to to progress as a player. And he's playing in a position that I think uh, works well for him. I said previously that I don't think there's a lot of pressure on him to score goals or be the main man to win games. When you have Watkins playing well in Diaby, John McGinn, you know, Louise, there's so many top players and I think he thrives in that because, as I say, there's less pressure. There's less onus on him to be the one who whips the ball into the top corner um, coming in off the right-hand side. So, yeah, I think that's a key reason why he's now um, contributing is Bailey. And, um, yeah, I can only see him improve from here as well. Again, like the rest of the squad, he's got years ahead of him to continue to uh, grow as a player. And under Emery, there's no reason why he can't do that. And, again, like Tielemans, like Zaniolo, they're all really important coming off coming off the bench and competing for minutes in Europe as well. That's another opportunity for him to, to get confidence in his game. So, yeah, it's been a very, very good, I suppose, 12 months now for Bailey. Um, and it's nice to see because, as I say, when he first joined, there was a lot of expectation, I think. He came with a lot of pedigree. Obviously, we, we had sold Grealish as well. So there was another reason for there was you know a lot of pressure on his shoulders to 
to play well. But this is what can happen to some players when they first join the Premier League. Um, it happened to Bailey, but now he looks like the player that we bought or that we thought we we would be buying yeah. from uh, Leverkusen in 2020. 2020? Oh, man. Is it 2020 or 2021? 20, 20, yeah, 21. Of course, yeah, yeah 2020. Uh, Dean Smith, wasn't he? And then, so yeah, so 21. Yeah. We mentioned earlier about um, strengthening January, the follow-up question from Russell, uh, who said, given our excellent start to the season, what areas do you see Villa looking to strengthen in January? And there's a couple of questions about this, so I'll name-check them at least from Rich, uh, who says, do you think we need to strengthen in January? For the first time ever, I'm pretty satisfied with the squad, especially with Ramsey, Moreno, Buendia and Irabunum back or back by the end of the season. And Matt, who says, with Watkins being our only real striker and Duran seemingly out of favour after an apparent bust-up with Emery, do you think we will stick with what we've got or look to add a bit of competition in January for Oli? Uh, firstly, no bust-up with Emery. <laughs> um, I was going to say, I thought we'd get that out of the way first. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of January, I'm um, I'm more than happy to have a very boring January. Uh, I am as well. I, I really yeah. don't want to buy anybody um, that's, you know, a, kind of for the sake of it signing. I understand that depth is important, but I feel like we're building towards that. But we don't need to be doing it in January, in my opinion. We've got Buendia out, we've got Mings out, we've got Ramsey, and we had Moreno out. So those, all those players will come back, you know, say in the summer. So far, Villa are proving that they can juggle European football and the Premier League. It's been a very hectic three months, and so far we're fifth in the Premier League, three points off top. Granted, it's only 12 games, but I think that's actually quite a sizable chunk, to be fair, of, of, you know, of a sample size. And we've nearly finished the European group. And if we win against Legia, we've, you know, we've qualified. So I don't know, I, you know, yes, there's positions that we could improve and we could probably uh, get another midfielder. I'm not sure, again, I'm not sure on Dendonka's future at the club. Um, if he goes in January, then we'd presumably bring another one in. I don't again. I don't think Irabunum would be staying for the rest of the season either. I think he probably needs a loan. Nope. So maybe that's something they're looking to. But at the same time, Emery, like we saw in the previous January window, he's only going to sign players that he knows will be here for you know the long run or that can make a difference in the team. He's not just going to bring in um, you know a stopgap until the end of the season and then they're on Villa's books for four years when we've got to manage FFP and things like that. If we don't get the Champions League this season, so I'm pretty happy with how the squad is balanced of course if Emery wants to buy a player let him do it because he knows better than us he bought Moreno when we didn't expect a left back to be coming in yeah I'm quite relaxed about it I don't think we need to be spending big money or anything like that and ultimately we have to be careful at the moment anyway if if in the summer you know we have Champions League for example then we've got a massive revenue stream there so we can be a bit more flexible but if we don't which again is not the end of the world and we get I don't know Europa League from winning the Conference League potentially I'm not sure something like that then Again, we're going to have to box, not clever, or we don't have to box clever, but you know, we have to manage ourselves. We can't spend 100 million and not take anything in because then the next season would be left with FFP as an issue for basically every club that doesn't have Champions League. So, yeah, I think let's not go wild in January because we ultimately we just don't need to. Um, can Monchi work a couple of deals? I don't know. Uh, he did well, I think, for Longley and I think for Zaniolo has worked, by the way. Uh, yes, he hasn't scored or assisted, but I think he's done well for the games he's played and he's played in games that Villa are fresh teams. Um, mm. He doesn't look out of place either. So, yeah, we'll see what January brings, but I don't think there's any major surgery or anything like that needs to happen at all. Yeah, I don't buy having like having to have a massive summer window. You know, I think we spoke about this in the summer just gone when we signed Diaby, Tielemans, Torres and one of that was it? Longley. 
Long live course, yeah. Uh, okay, we were yeah. saying, like, oh, if we signed seven, eight, nine players, you've got a lot to juggle there. And I don't really mm-hmm. agree with that, generally speaking, unless like, you have a season where you have free agents leave or loan players return or whatever. Even more so for January, if we're signing three or four players in January, I'm thinking, well, there's a problem somewhere that's been identified. And if Emery sees a problem and that we need that kind of work doing, I'd back him to do that. But just from like a fan perspective of wanting the, the excitement of a transfer window, if Emery doesn't feel he needs anyone, I agree with that side more than, oh, I want to be flashy and sign two or three players. The striker one is the one with, is Duran adequate enough to back up to Watkins or if Watkins gets injured in December or something, then obviously, yes, we'll have to maybe do some work in the in the window. Let's talk like an experienced striker, maybe a low knee of a 32-year-old from Spain or something that comes on for 10 minutes at the end of games and scores five or six goals in the yeah. second half of the season. Maybe, yes, maybe we do need something like that. Uh, but I don't see us spending... 40, 50 million in January at all, unless we lose somebody for decent money and we have to replace, but I don't see that either. No one, you know, maybe there is an experienced striker that they might go for in January and I'd, you know, be all for that because I do think that's potentially needed. You know, I'd be the first to say, I think John Duran's been excellent when he's played uh, and I definitely think he can be back up to Watkins, but there is, you know, question marks over, does he does he know his role exactly? Um, again, there's been no bust stuff with Emery, but, um, you know, he needs, needs to know his place in the squad and uh, he needs to be counted on. Um, sorry, when he comes on, he needs he needs to be counted on when he's called on, if that makes sense. Um, he needs to play his part and he has had niggling injuries. His consistency hasn't quite been there, as Emery said. So maybe that's something they'll look in January. In terms of the summer, Dan, I know we're moving on way ahead, but I just think we don't know yet because there's so many variables. I Do we have Champions League? Do Arsenal come in with 100 million for Louise? You, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, and that is something that could happen. You know, we can't get around it. Yes, we don't want to sell our main players, but if big offers come in for them, then the club will have to act, you know, accordingly to what they think is best for mm. um, for the years to come. So, yeah, we don't know what's going to happen, but for now, I think we're in a really good position, and I just don't think we need to. And Emery, by the way, won't either um, think that he needs to, you know, make three or four additions in January to change how we play or anything. This is how we're going to play. Know, if he brings yeah. anyone in, they're going to have a period of adaptation anyway. So, mm. um, well, then Moreno yeah, didn't. Well, he came in straight away, didn't he? And was effective from kind of game week. Yeah. Different, I think, because that was almost uh, okay. Moreno comes in, and now we're going to play to this guy's strengths, and it was yeah, almost okay, like, yeah. 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 Um, but there's a structure now in place where I don't think we sign, for example, uh, a new right back, and all of a sudden we're playing a different way for this right back. Whereas I think we did that for Moreno because that was, you know, a first major signing for Emery. But January window is a bit of a. We'll see what happens, but I don't, I'm not expecting anything big, put it that way. I agree with you. I agree with your stance and people will disagree with us and think, no, we need three or four players. We need a striker. We need this. We need that. And that's absolutely fair enough. I'm going to play devil's advocate with you for that side of the argument. So let's say where we are at the moment in the, in the league specifically, we'll talk about the conference league. That we beat Legia. We're qualified. If we beat Mostar, we're top. And we don't think about Europe again until March. So let's yeah. just focus on the Premier League for now. 12 games in, 25 points. Now, every team will be able to say this. But if we'd have beat Forest last week, We'd be top now. We're joint top. <laughs> if we second behind Man City because of goal difference. But this isn't joint. We've, I know we laugh about it and <laughs> it kind of is a laughable point. I'm not saying we're going to win the league. But if this was the third or fourth week into the season, being top is absolutely irrelevant. And being top after 12 games, it's kind of irrelevant. But it's a third of the season. My devil's advocate point is, obviously the January window is halfway through. So we're talking 19, 20 games played in the Premier League. If Villa are, and let's face it, third or something like that, if they continue the way they are, that's a possibility because yeah. it means we've, we'll have taken points from an Arsenal or a Spurs after the break or whatever for us to keep yeah. up that kind of run of form. If we are third or something like that in January, is there then an argument to say, 
we've got a serious challenge to Champions League here. We have to go out and spend 30 million on somebody to bolster that that effort. My argument would be, where does that 30 million improve your squad? I know that sounds quite crazy, but 30 million these days, in January, by the way, is probably a 20 million pound player yeah, who isn't yeah. better than Ramsey, Moreno, Watkins, Louise, Kamara. You know, extra depth when the games aren't going your way, that Ramsey's not having an off day. You, instead of going to Zaniolo, you go to your. Yeah. I feel like we've got that, from the championship or whoever it is. Yeah, I, just, I feel like we have that though in our squad. When when we have a fully fit squad, ignore Buendia and Mings, but they will be back in the summer, so those players are there. But for the 19 games after January or whatever, you know, take it as a fully fit squad. I, I think you've got enough there. I, I really do. Um, yes, you can get injuries, but we can't, you know, stock players that are as good as Watkins, mm. Ramsey, and whatever it may be, and just wait just for an injury does. to happen. Yeah, it yeah, doesn't happen. Yeah. That's why, you know, everyone said, oh, Tottenham have never had a good backup striker for Kane. Well, what would you expect? Yes, Janssen and um, Vinicius weren't good signings, but that's just poor recruitment. But you're not going to get a good striker. For example, if Ollie Watkins, he's probably a level, well, he is a level below Harry Kane. If he went to Tottenham, well, so he wouldn't go to Tottenham when Harry Kane is there because he's not going to play second for second for Villa. He's never going to play exactly, is he? and it's the same for Villa. Are we going to get a level yeah. that's the same as Ollie Watkins? Play understudy to him? No, we're not. <laughs> so, especially in January, that's the point as well because we have a certain amount of money that we can spend. Those that level of player doesn't leave in January. The only argument I'd say otherwise is that a player like Alex Moreno, who can be transformational for a team, costs thirteen million quid, and with a bit of smart recruitment, you can make that difference. But from where I'm looking at it, I'm not seeing, you know, exactly where in the squad there needs to be a major, you know, um, addition or whatever it may be. I, I just think maybe in centre midfield, as I say, maybe there's one there. If Kamara picks up an injury, for example, I think we could be in trouble. If Louise picks mm-hmm. up an injury, we'd be in trouble. But then how do you replace Douglas Louise? You can't just replace them by buying a player in January. If you lose them, you lose them. Tough luck. You, you need to find another way to win. Um, mm, yeah, That's my yeah. take with it. And no, yeah, we don't have... Good. I just don't think we have the funds anyway in January to... You know, spend eighty million on two players, for example. I just don't think that's feasible. Okay, let's move on from that then. I think that was a, a decent discussion and a pr- pretty level-headed way to approach it. Obviously, things can change in football very quickly. If there is, you know, yeah. a big move for somebody that, that forces injury, that yeah. to, to doing something there. Of course, I'm not yeah. saying that we're saying now in November Villa won't sign anyone in January. Then we get to January and sign three players. That could happen. But as of right now, I think I agree with your assessment that we're pretty well set. And if you do lose somebody probably not going to replace them in January anyway. And the other clubs yeah. that you're buying from know, well, we could probably chuck an extra 20 million on this because they need to replace Bukkar Kamara who's out for the season. I honestly think the only way that we improve in January, you know, mainly is by smart recruitment. Emery tapping into the Spanish leagues, Monchi, you know, using his contacts, that sort of thing. It's not that we don't have money mm. to do it. It's just that it, it's unwise. If you spend that amount of money in January, it means that you've got an issue somewhere. And I don't mm. see the issue in Villa's team, yes. yeah. to, be, to be honest. We've been recording for quite a long time. We've got to have several breaks for you doing some work. I've been on the phone a couple of times. So apologies if this <laughs> podcast has been edited in a bit of a disjointed way, but we've got a couple of questions. Still want to talk about Ezra Concert. And as everyone's favourite segment, here's something I saw this week and wanted to talk about. So I'm keen to, to rattle through these last couple of questions. So from, <laughs> and from an injury perspective, from Gareth and Ben, Gareth, first of all, says, will Alex Moreno just go back into the starting eleven, or has Luca Dean made it his own? And Ben said, how good is it, though, that we can have starting players return from injury or have a manager that doesn't panic and rush them back into the starting eleven? Yeah, I think that's... Um, both comments are bang on. Uh, in terms of... Well, as I said, the first comment was a question, but it's a good question, and I, I agree. I think Dean, I've said it before, is probably the most 
underrated player this season for Villa. I think he's been excellent in in a position where that Villa rely on so much. I think everyone probably thought, oh no, Moreno. Oh, sorry, if you said that Moreno was out for the first three months of the season, you'd be saying, well, that's the problem because Luca Dean will probably pick up an injury or he, yeah. you know, there'll be an issue somewhere. Um, if you could time travel back to when we did our mid-season our season preview, if I'd have said to you then, I've time travelled to November and we've had Mings injured on game week one, Buendia was injured in training, Moreno hasn't played yet and Jack Ramsey came back, scored a goal and then disappeared again uh, <laughs> and said to you that Villa were fifth on 25 points and a couple of points off the top, you'd have gone, don't be silly. I feel like that goes under the radar from like the wider football fans and the, the, the national media and whatnot that it's kind of like oh poor old Tottenham for losing loads of players or poor old Newcastle they've had it tough or like poor old Villa who are where they are given the injuries they've had to three of the four players I mentioned definitely start Brendier is probably questionable given the recruitment he had but I think he probably starts as well starts the season at least I think there is definitely a point in that I don't think Emery Emery will care for people no. saying that you know but it is true. It, you know, again, it's testament to the job he's done. And that's, again, my point about the January window. With you know, If you want to put it another way, we're welcoming back a left-back who is one of the best in the Premier League, I think, in terms of what he does. And Jacob Ramsey is... You know, what's his price tag? 60 million, 70 million, something like that? I don't know. Yeah. Not, I'm not, not saying he's um, one of the best players in the league, but he, in terms of what he is, he's a sensational player. So that's what Villa are welcoming back into the squad already on a team that are fifth in the yeah, league yeah. and yeah. win all their games at home. You know, it's that's remarkable. So, um, yeah, the question about Luca Dean and Alex Moreno. Um, I think <laughs> Moreno uh, will come back in the team. Again, if you, if you picked a team to play the Conference League final tomorrow night and they will fully fit, Moreno would be at left-back. Uh, again, I'm not suggesting that Luca Dean hasn't done well at all. I think he's been very good. But the way that Alex Moreno played last season, if he did that over the course of the season, he'd probably be player of the year. I know Luis played very well, but he was that good. So, um, yeah, Moreno will come back in the team. I don't doubt that. But again, to have Luca Dean to call on for Conference League games and, you know, to come off the bench as he did a lot last season as well and still contribute, it's, again, Villa have got a really good squad there. Final two questions then before we move on to Ezri Konsa, and I'll do these in, in, in the same go as well. From Matt, who says, did we look tired in the second half against Fulham? Is this a worry when you look at our fixture schedule up until Christmas? I will answer that very quickly and say, I think we took our foot off the gas, as you mentioned earlier. The game was pretty much won already. I didn't feel massively threatened by Fulham. and There's no need to overexert yourself for 90 minutes when you're already comfortable enough at home. I know you've got an international break coming up and you kind of go, you've got a break anyway, but don't risk an injury or anything. I think I don't think it's a tiredness thing. I think it was a, a choice to kind of step off a little bit. Uh, the second question is from uh, JF AVFC. He says, given, this is an interesting one actually, and I, I kind of feel like I know the answer to this, I should do, but the way it was phrased to me was like, oh, okay, that's a decent question. Given most of our squad is away, do those who are not on international duty do much work for next opponents, for the next opponents during the break? So, like, obviously they still have to come into training and take part and stuff, but the players that are left behind, will they be, like, getting match ready for Tottenham? Or is that a bit of a wasted exercise because they might not even play anyway? No, I, I don't know how it works in every international break, but Emery, Emery said that uh, it's, as I said previously, it would kind of take full energy for next week to prepare for Tottenham. I, I, I might, might be wrong, I don't know, but I think a few of them will probably have, you know, days off, that sort of thing, because uh, it's been a long three month. Um, a bit of like general fitness, but there's no point like, uh, this is a bad example, because I don't oh, know whether he's yeah. in the squad, I assume he's not, but like Clement Longley is not going to get ready for how he's going to mark, I don't know, no. Kulisevsky get set pieces, for example, because he's probably not going to play anyway, so it's a wasted exercise. No, I think that they were going to debrief the Fulham game uh, and then they would kind of go their separate ways and then they'll regroup 
um, obviously as a whole group later next week. But I would mm. imagine that the players like Emery have a few days off now just to kind of take stock and then they'll be back later this week, I presume. But no, they won't be analysing Tottenham straight away. Just some general fitness kind of work or whatever. Yeah, your gym work. There might be a bit of analysis, like individual analysis, that sort of stuff, because that's what they tend to do. They do it in groups as a team and individuals as well. So there'll be mm. plenty of work to do. But in terms of the sit down, here's what Tottenham are going to do. Here's how we beat them. That'll be yeah. um, next week, yeah. Yeah, just an, it feels like a very obvious answer, and it it, it is that. But I just thought it was an interesting thing that, well, yeah, obviously they're not going to kind of prepare for Tottenham with players that won't be playing against Tottenham. But yeah, interesting. That's all the questions then. So we're going to talk about Ezra Concer for a little bit. I don't know how I was going to approach this really on the podcast because I've, I'm in two minds over it, which is mad considering we've like clamoured for it. <laughs> we've done several episodes of like Concer should be in the England squad. Come on, what a disgrace this is! And now he's in it. I feel two ways about it. Please, for Ezra Concer. Of course. I don't know. This is bad of me, really. Please, Reggie Conte is fully deserved to be in that squad and he's well overdue. He should have been in there a long time ago. We all know how good he is. Yada, yada, yada. To be recognised for your achievements and get into your national side is a, an honour and a privilege and all those kind of things. Fair play, Reggie Conte. The other side of me thinks, what if he goes there and gets injured? And that's bad <laughs> oh, for Villa. Right. What if yeah. he goes there and doesn't play and it's a bit of a waste of time anyway? What if he goes there and gets his head turned as we've seen him we and, and, and <laughs> anchors his way from move next summer? So, like, I'm happy for him. Do I really care about him being in, in the England squad and playing matches for England? Uh, not really. I'm really happy for him. He's signed a contract a couple of months ago, so I don't think there's any issue in terms of turning heads or whatever. No, and to be honest, I don't know exactly what that involves, but... Um... You know, if you've got players saying to him, oh, Champions League football's so good or whatever, he'll be thinking, yeah, can't wait to do it with Villa because that's where we are now. We're in the top five and yeah. that's what we want to achieve. So if anything, it would be like a stimulant maybe to, you know, push on and get it. I'm okay with it. I think Conte going there is great for him. Uh, it's nice that Villa players are getting recognised and I don't know, take it in a different way. Um, Villa going after players in the transfer market. We can say that uh, Watkins is now with England, Conte is with England. There's a pathway here to progress your career. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's what players like Tielemans saw as well, you know, a player who's been linked with Champions League clubs, you know, his whole mm. career really. But he chose Villa to kind of take the step forward in his uh, career. That's what Emery said yesterday. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it. If players are winning things, not winning things, but, um, you know, achieving things in their career and they're taking a step forward, then, yeah, I think that's something that Villa can take as a positive because other players will see that as well. It also gives them a taste of like, oh, this is really good. Like if I continue my club form, I can do this more often. And obviously that's good for Aston yeah. Villa as well, that Conte is playing well for us and we'll continue to, yeah. continue to do so. Exactly. My point about him like, getting his head turned is a bit tongue-in-cheek. I don't really expect him to be around a, a circus of bids next summer. I mean, he could be, but not because he's involved with England, because he's a very good yeah. footballer. This is the thing. You, again, we don't want to paint negative pictures, but if God, if Man City come in with like fifty million, it's like, well, I'm not shocked at that at all because he's that good. <laughs> Do you know I'm what I mean? I'm, no, no, and I'm not understanding him leaving at all. But I just mean, us Villa fans are aware of it. I feel like mm. we're so um, he's so underrated. No one knows that he's good. But then all of a sudden, because people in football aren't stupid, if Arsenal come in with sixty million or something, which again I wouldn't accept, but um, if they did, then it would be like, well, yeah, I'm like not surprised by that at all. Other fans you know, of clubs elsewhere might think like, oh, why don't you buy Gay instead or something? But um, yeah, he's a class operator. And the point I was about to make then was that uh, these players as well, if they're getting to the England squad, like uh, Luis is getting to the Brazil squad as well, they don't have to yeah, yeah. You know, think about leaving elsewhere to get onto that level. They're mm. getting that level with Villa. So again, I think that's, um, yeah, that's a positive. 
Yeah, lots of internationals throughout that Villa side now. I'm, I was about to start reading them out, but I think it, it's obviously not the whole squad, but it's it's not a million miles away. Obviously, what like, yeah. it's always been the England ones that have been like the the ones that you don't get in there. But Watkins and and Conte will be in there now. Martinez will be with Argentina. Cash will be with Poland. Torres is yeah. with Spain. Dean is with France. No, not anymore. Uh, Kamara's uh, with France. Uh, Kamara's with France. Luis is with Brazil. Is Diaby with France? He was at one point. No, not at the moment. Okay, so the French ones aren't. They, they have been in. Though. They, they are internationals. They're just not, obviously, at the moment. Yeah. Bailey's gone with Jamaica. Uh, Zaniolo's gone with Italy. Robin Olsen goes with Sweden. Yeah, then Duncan and Tielemans with Belgium. Yeah. Possibly McGinn with Scotland. Like, there's a, yeah. You can make a, a first goal. 11 out of those internationals now, and that's, a, that's obviously a good yeah. place to be. And yeah. as you said, they'll be thinking, well, I'm an international playing at Aston Villa, so I don't need to go, as traditionally you think, to a top four club to have that pathway to international football. So yeah. they're playing for their country, they're playing well for their club, who is currently sat in fifth and looking pretty. This is, you know, life is good. This is where I want to be. Right. So general kind of overview then of where we are. Um, Villa are very good, very good at home. It's an international break now where we come back with Spurs away, which we will talk about in a little bit more detail. I think this kind of fascination of the higher line versus the higher line is what we've spoken about before, but I actually don't think it'll play out like that. I think Emery might switch things up a little bit. And then it's Bournemouth away, which is by no means easy, but a game that you would target and think, they are 17th. Like, you know, we should still be going there and picking up three points if we're on our form. And coming yeah. back to break, possibly break that 40-year record by 14 home wins in a row in the Premier League or in the first division by beating... Man City would be unbelievable. And then you follow it up days later with Arsenal. Like this, if if Villa are still up around fifth or better in a month's time, we'll have picked up some very good results over that time because we play the teams around us. So, yeah. so I mean, mate, it's exciting. It's very exciting. Well, you've got to do it, haven't you? I, that City game though is just. I mean, Tottenham itself. I think is, I'm relishing that already because of their mm. issues, I suppose. And then we'll be hitting that, you know, with full energy, as any as Emery said. Um, but then the City, we do have Bournemouth though, and I'm a bit like, people are forgetting that one. And I, that won't be easy at all. We we never tend to do particularly well there. I know we <laughs> won there in like 2015 or whatever, but that was, you know, whatever. Um, I only win of the season. Yeah. yeah. We got relegated just talking about. I think it was one of, yeah, one of like two wins, was yeah. it? Or something? We beat Norwich we won on the opening day, I didn't win and didn't win again until like mad. February or March or something. <laughs> Gabby scored, I think. Anyway, uh, there is that game. But yeah, this is, Gestead scored. I was going to the tip on that day and then I came back and Villa won. <laughs> Thought we were in for a good season. The City game is a Tuesday night as well, isn't it? So under the lights, Wednesday, I think. opportunity but to yeah. break. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. Um, under the lights, yeah, just that game has, you know, it, it's got the billing to be a, a kind of a classic, classic mm. Villa game. Yeah, thriller at the Villa, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, really looking forward to that. And even as you say, Dan, even if we weren't to get the result, where well, you pick yourselves up because you've got Arsenal. Um, mm. at the weekend so really looking forward to those games already yeah Villa don't lose more than one game at a time at any point so if we did lose to Spurs I'd expect us to beat Bournemouth and if we lost to City I'd expect us to not lose against Arsenal and make, maintain that kind of like we pick ourselves up and dust ourselves down and <laughs> go again kind of uh, Steve Bruce vibe uh, but yeah if you're talking at like you lose to Fulham uh, lose to Fulham lose, lost to Spurs beat Bournemouth and then lost to City and Arsenal as much as they're good sides like I don't want to be seeing that from us like you at least try not to lose, especially in the home games. But I want to go into them, try to win every single one, and, and Emery will be yeah. doing the same, and so will the players. Final part of the show is everyone's favourite segment, no doubt. Here's something I saw this week and wanted to talk about. And this sparked off the back of a tweet from uh, Danny. Um, she tweeted, 
that. And I don't want to like pile on Danny at all because I disagree with her yeah, opinion. This, this, this is a too saying this... argument, of course. But she basically said part of her would quite like the idea of Rooney doing well at Birmingham and getting promoted so Villa can have the derby back with Blues. And I replied back saying I'd be pretty content with never playing them again. And that got 68 likes and sparked a bit of a debate on Twitter of like, would you rather Blues be decent and we get to play them every so often? Or do you not care about them and never want to see them again? I don't get this like, oh, put them into administration and get rid of them as a club. Because obviously you don't, I don't mean that. Like I don't want to ruin a, a community and whatever else. And so I dislike Birmingham City. They exist as a football club and that's fine. I don't want them to be anywhere near Villa. I don't want to be playing them. I don't want that tension of we could lose here and they will hold it over us for eternity because it's massive to them. I don't even want to go through that experience. I dislike the experience of playing against them. Even though in our lifetime particularly, we tend to win against them more often than not. We've had some great results against them. We've battered them. We've had the Grealish thing. We've had the 5-1. Generally speaking, it's good when Villa play Blues because we beat them. But that like, extra pressure of like, this could all go up and it will be disgusting if it does. I'd rather just not play them. What do you think about it? I always say, for me anyway, there's no, there's nothing for Villa to gain when they beat Birmingham. It's, it's literally yeah, a game, to, yeah. just so they can kind of drag us down with them. Yeah, like firstly, as you say, like I'm not on the brigade of like, you know, oh, yeah, you kind of kill them off. I think a lot of Birmingham fans were when we had our struggles back in. Yeah, yeah. When was that now? 2018, summer of 2018. Mm. Uh, yeah, which is mad because you know people lose their jobs and stuff, but. Yeah, I don't um, don't care really about playing them. Um, again, not I don't know when that's going to be. It could be for a, a bit of a while now. Uh, yeah, I'm not particularly bothered because it's as you say. I think for them, it's I don't even mean this is like an offensive thing. It is their biggest game. It's the only time yeah. they tend to sell out the stadium. And I'm, again, I'm not, I think that's factual. <laughs> it feels like it's just an opportunity for them to try and take us down. And more often than not, it doesn't happen or it hasn't happened in my lifetime apart from I think it was a couple of league games and the League Cup Based match. The cup, didn't they? Yeah, the League Cup one I'm thinking of. Don't think you can have it better as a Villa fan when Jack Grealish, your captain, your boyhood um, fan is assaulted on the pitch and then scores the winner. Like you can't get better than that. Villa could beat Birmingham 2-0 in every game for the rest of my life. Like, I, I'm not bothered. No, nothing tops that. Obviously it's no. great to beat them and it feels good to beat a local role, but it feels good to beat any team. I love Villa winning games against whoever it is. It's no, not really anything extra special to beat them because from their side of things, I'm like, oh, well, we expect Villa to beat us because they spent a billion pounds and we've only yeah, spent yeah, yeah. <laughs> You don't gain it. Like you said, you don't gain anything. And if you lose, it's an absolute horror show. It's not just a loss like any other game. It's like the Forest loss was grim last week, but I don't really care. If we'd lost a Blues last week, you'd still be hearing about it now and they'd be hearing about it in 10 years' time because they beat us so infrequently that I don't even want to be part of that. If we win, it almost doesn't matter because it's like, oh, we beat them. And I know yeah. our fans get you know excited about it as you would because you've won a you've won a football match and you've you know you beat your rivals or whatever. But it's not a feeling of it's a feeling of relief more than anything because you know that you'd get so much for the rest of like the decade <laughs> if Birmingham was to beat yeah. you because they don't have the moment very often do they um, yeah. and again I'm not trying to like prod anyone it's just those are the facts I don't think they've beaten us in a very long time and in history I don't think they would have won many games either so and also let's face it we're not going to be relegated anytime soon and I don't think they're going to be promoted anytime soon so the only time we're going to play them is in a cup game so even they've got that added pressure of like if we lose this 
we've got a, one less chance of winning a trophy this year as well. And they, they're into the next round. And that year that we mentioned yeah. when they beat us, they won it that year. Football works in cycles, though, doesn't it? Blues haven't been in the Premier League for a long time. And I don't know how to say it, but I just got a feeling that it's not far away. I know they're in a horrific really? position at the moment under Rooney, but they've got a bit of a stable ownership now. I just got a feeling that, you know, clubs work in cycles. Ipswich Town, for example, where were they, you know? Mm. Yeah. For so many years, just coasting and coasting in the championship, get relegated. You think they're going to go bang, get promoted, and they're probably going to go come back up to the Premier League. Sheffield United, the same thing. So it happens. I wouldn't be surprised if Blues are in the Premier League in the next 10 years. I know that's a long time. I'll, I'll stick my neck out and say it's we'll probably play them in a league game before a cup game. That's my prediction. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. I'll take your bet. I don't think they'll get promoted within 10 years. We'll come back in 2032 and see if we were, if, who was correct on that. I don't think they'll get promoted anytime soon. And I'm. Hopefully the Premier League exists in 10 years' time because the way football's going, who knows? We might be part of the Super League. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Let's call it a day there. A pretty bumper recording session at least. I don't know how long this uh, this edit will go down to, but we've been recording for almost an hour and a half with various interruptions. But we've spoken a lot about Fulham. We've answered loads of questions. Uh, we spoke about cons getting into England and that little mini section on Blues was, was interesting as well, I think. So let us know your thoughts in the comments down below on all those topics, Fulham, concert and, uh, and the Blues discussion. Uh, keen to hear your thoughts as always. It is obviously international break this week, so no inside body more, no match previews, no post-match reactions or anything until the Spurs game next weekend. Um, but there will be bits and pieces from us throughout the week. I don't, I don't know what it is yet. We'll try and get creative and, and talk about some different topics. If you've got suggestions of things you want us to cover, get those in the comments as well or, or tweet us at Claret Blue Pod. John, thank you very much for giving me up an hour and a half of your time this Monday morning. I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks everyone for watching as always, and we'll see you again very soon.